In olden times, sacrifices were made at the altar, a practice which is still continued. Helen Rowland. Teresa, Long Island, New York, on the second day of 1922. During the night, I dream that my husband arrives unexpectedly from Manhattan, in a plume of sultry exhaust from the engine of his Buick Battistini Speedster, and let me tell you, the intrusion is most unwelcome. To be sure, outside of feverish dreams, the possibilities remote. I have no doubt that, at the instant my dream husband's wheels disturb the dream gravel outside, the genuine Mr. Marshall lies in cetacean slumber on the bed of that jewel box apartment on Sutton Place he's bought for his mistress. This being the second night of the new year, and one conveniently placed on the calendar for adulterous pursuits. In any case, he's not the sort of man to storm down a frozen highway at dawn. Mr. Marshall's manners are impeccable. Still, the very suggestion is enough to awaken me, lathered and breathless, from a state of abandoned repose. The room is heavy with that charcoal light that arrives just before dawn. And since it's a small room, unheated, unpainted, perched above the dusty remains of a pair of carriages made redundant by the ilk of Mr. Ford, I can't quite decide where I am, except that the place feels like home. A mattress sags beneath my hips, and the sheet is flannel, musty like an Adirondack cabin, I'm borne down by the weight of a thousand wool blankets, and someone is smoking a cigarette. I roll on my side. Boyo? The boy stands by the window, matched in color to the smoke that trails from his hand. His shoulders are the exact width of the sash, and just as level, from clavicle to humorous. I have forgotten the substance of my dream or why it terrified me. My breathing returns to normal at this indisputable proof of a male companion. Without turning, without even twitching, he is absolutely the stillest man I've ever known. He says, I keep wondering, are you going to call me that when I'm 60? Yes, the room is dark and cold, and the blankets are heavy, and underneath those blankets I'm as naked as an innocent babe, though the resemblance to both babes and innocence ends there. I sit up anyway and hold out my arms. You'll always be my boyo, my lovely laddie. He steps to the bed and sits down on the edge, entering obediently into my embrace. His skin is icy, the flesh underneath as hot as blazes. There's a car outside, he says, after kissing me, as if this piece of information is of no consequence whatever. I sort of startle. The boy's arms, which are planted on either side of my hips, prevent me from startling too much. A car? Yes. What make? Can't tell, it's too dark. He picks up my arm and kisses the skin of my inner elbow. Saloon or coupe? Coupe, 
sit still, will you? I struggle to drag my arm away from his lips, and he won't let me. For God's sake, Boyo, have you gone loony in the night? Where are my clothes? Why, he's not getting out. I swear, the boy who doesn't like me to take the name of his lord in vain applies the pad of his thumb to the center of my lips. I open my mouth and bite him. Ouch. It's Silvo. It's got to be Silvo. So what? So what? My husband's at the door and you have to ask? He's not at the door, Teresa. He's sitting in the car, smoking a cigarette, probably lit. But he's going to come out eventually. Maybe, the boy shrugs. No need to rush him, though. There is little purpose to stirring up the boy when he won't be stirred. His cold nerves kept him alive in France, and I guess they'll keep him alive now.